The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, as you've been hearing throughout uh, the day on uh, Eileen's newscast, uh, Alec Manassian has been found guilty on 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 of attempted murder in the April 2018 Toronto van attack. The 28-year-old had admitted planning and carrying out the attack, but argued he should be found not criminally responsible for his actions due to his autism spectrum disorder. Now, the justice in the case, Anne Malloy, ruled this morning that Manassian was full capable of making a rational choice at the time and deliberately chose to commit mass murder. She refused to name Manassian in her decision and referred to him only as John Doe um, after an initial naming him, uh, telling the court that notoriety was his motivation to commit the attack. Paul Doroshenko is a criminal defense lawyer with Acumen Law. Paul, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, all right, let's first off, let's, you know, for those of us who aren't lawyers, and there's many listening right now that aren't lawyers, when we talk about not criminally responsible, what is the, what is the usual, what is the threshold that has to be met to, for someone to be, clear, to, to be de- declared not criminally responsible? Yeah, I mean, we look at a lot of offenses when people commit them, and you wonder how anybody in their right mind could yeah. do it, right? But that's not the standard that we use. Uh, there's a defense that's available in the criminal code, and it's it's set out uh, basically that you're you're incapable of of understanding the nature and consequences of your act. So uh, it's it's really a two part test: not knowing what you're doing, uh, or not knowing the difference between right and wrong. And in this case. Um, as a defense, this fellow uh, advanced the second part of that, basically that he didn't know the difference between right and wrong, uh, claiming that that was as a result of his his autism. Uh, and the court went through it in the end. Uh, and it's a, I mean, it's a lengthy, brilliant decision. It's the type of thing when you read it as a lawyer, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, "This is where you've got." You know, you're proud of your courts and in, in your country, uh, but uh, you know, went through it and basically said, "Look, this guy." Uh, you know, planned it. He knew it was wrong. He understood. It. He's got autism, and and but for the autism, he probably would not have done it. That's true, but that's not the test, right? Yeah, and 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 the defense had suggested and argued that because of his autism, that he he never developed empathy, and that lack of empathy left him incapable of rational choice. And she she rejected that. How would empathy come to play in this? Well, that's an interesting thing, okay? I mean, there's true psychopaths have no empathy. Um, You know, they're just plotting. Uh, He's not a psychopath. He's got autism, and he's got uh, less empathy, for example, than, you know, your average person, you and me. But everybody's got a different level of empathy. Uh, And that, you know, really doesn't end up being a deciding factor in this case because he knew it was wrong. He knew it was going to cause people grief. You know, he was doing it for his own aggrandizement. Uh, despite the fact that he knew he was going to die. And it wasn't a situation where he was, like, planning his suicide. He was trying, hoping to be killed by a police officer to make himself a hero in this small group uh, of people he discovered on the Internet who he, you know, wanted to impress in his death. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was, you know, it was something that was thoughtful. It was deliberate. He considered it. Uh, you know, but for his autism, he probably would not have been attracted to that group, uh, you know, made these sorts of plans, came up with this, this you know, plot that was going to make him, uh, in his mind, uh, a hero to his little group. 
uh, of people with who are like-minded, I guess. Uh, but you know, in the end, he he planned it. He went and rented the van beforehand. He selected the van that was going to be the right size that could get on the sidewalk easily and do the most amount of damage. Uh, you know, he was nervous when he went to rent it because he knew what he was going to do. Um, you know, and then he carried it through. He carried it through, and then he tried to get killed by a police officer at the end. And yeah. thankfully, you know, very uh, by by all descriptions here in the decision, uh, very thoughtful Toronto police officers did everything the right way, arrested the guy. They were respectful and and conducted the investigation. Of course, you know, the psychiatrists get involved at that point, and they're trying to figure out where his autism plays out in the legal defense. Yeah, and you know what the the if you if you read uh, the justices' um, verdict today, it's what 67, 68 pages long, and um, there there it's just it's um, it's it's just broken down. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure I've ever gone through one um, like the one I went through today. But the last, the conclusion, the summing up of it all was just outlined so incredibly incredibly well. And thought, and I thought to myself, oh, okay, that makes sense to someone who talks, you know, for a living on on on. On a radio, Paul, I, I'm curious to know. There's, there's this this case had a number of firsts. I mean, because of COVID, all of that sort of stuff. Um, it was delivered on a YouTube live stream today, which was which was interesting. This autism defense was the first time that it had been used. Now we know that the justice said um, that. Um, an, an incapacity to empathize for whatever reason does not constitute a defense under Section 16 of the Criminal Code. But she went on to say, in a legal context, context autism spectrum dis- disorder could be considered a mental disorder in a potential NCR defense as it meets the criteria. What could that potentially mean moving forward? Well, I, I think what you've got to consider, I mean, when we talk about, I'm no expert in autism, right? You know, we deal with this in the criminal law yeah. context all the time because a lot of our clients fall somewhere within the spectrum of the disorder. It's a spectrum disorder. You can be at the yeah. extreme end uh, where you are incapable of functioning, period, or you can be at the at the end like a, a fairly significant portion of the population is uh, where you you function okay in society and maybe in some respects it's it affects you but for the most part you you know a lot of people don't even know they've got it um, it's where are you on the spectrum really uh, and in this case this this was a high functioning individual he was he was an intelligent individual yes. who could could understand what he was doing uh, and his and you know his his Capacities are different, and it's certainly that it's a uh, you know it's a uh, it, it's a, a, a uh, something that affects his his cognitive ability and affects his reasoning. But at the same time, you know the the broad population is facing that problem too, right? <laughs> and you know pe- we have to have a manner in which to deal with people who who cause injury and damage. Uh, and, and, and in this case, murder and, and, and a, a attempted murder, bad injuries to 16 other people. We have to have some way of dealing with it, even though everybody's got, um, you know, their various issues that they're dealing with. So we draw a line, right? Uh, and the line is not drawn to, to make it particularly easy. The onus is on the defense to establish this. So the Crown has to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. That's easy, right? We know that he did it. We know that it was, you know, that he that he did it intentionally on the basis of the fact that he did it. 
you know, and went through these steps to do it. The next step becomes the defense's obligation to prove on a balance of probability, so 50% plus one, that he met the test in the code that he was incapable of, of understanding either that what he was doing or the nature and consequences of it. Well, clearly he understood those things, right? So this was not, I mean, in my mind, you're looking at it as a defense lawyer and you're saying, well, what do you have, right? You've got to defend the guy. What do you have? You've got to take your best shot with your best argument. And this was their best shot with their best argument. Um, but it was a, a bit of a stretch in my view. Paul Doroshenko joining us this afternoon. Always appreciate your time, Paul. Thanks for this. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to speak with you. Yeah, take care. Paul Doroshenko is a criminal defense lawyer with Acumen Law. So you can um, uh, go online if you want to read Justice Malloy's um, decision um, in this case. I mean, really what you need to do is go to uh, the last page, uh, her conclusion. And uh, in it, she starts off by saying, in this case, Mr. Doe knew it was legally wrong to kill people. He also knew that his plan to run down and kill people constituted first-degree murder and that if arrested he would go to jail for the rest of his life that is why his plan was to die by cop being preferable to jail he knew that the vast majority of people in society would find an act of mass murder to be morally wrong but he desperately wanted to achieve fame and notoriety believing even negative attention for his actions would be better than to live in obscurity she went on to say that he was capable of understanding the impact it would have on his victims. He knew death would be irreversible. He knew that families would grieve. At various times during the assessments by experts, he described his actions as being devastating, despicable, shocking, morally terrible, a horrible thing, irredeemable. She goes on to say he made a choice 